name of Jesus. Is that name powerful, though, in your life? This is a personal question. Boy, this beginning of this year has been a whirlwind, hasn't it? The tree's down, but it's not all stored away. The new year has come. The biggest event of the year, though, it's not Clemson being the national champion, though that's pretty good. We'll have no haters in the body of Christ. I went to Georgia, but give them their props, for goodness sakes. But the biggest news is my grand boy Brooks was born. That's right. Last Sunday morning, before the sun came up, he came out. There he is. He looks like his grandpop, doesn't he? But then I've gotten sick, and so I was exiled from the presence of my sweet child. So... That's right, but I'm not going to spread it to you either. Um, Today, we continue our series called The Battle. And the purpose of this little mini-series was to identify, to understand the three primary enemies to spiritual growth so that we can defeat them. There are three adversaries that prevent or at least make more difficult what God wants for us, which is to pursue a relationship with Jesus by faith. And these are the world, which is the external physical temptation to sin, the flesh, which is the internal mental and emotional temptation to sin, and the devil, which is the supernatural temptation to sin. These aren't exclusive In fact, the devil uses the other two against us. Today, I focus on our third enemy, Satan or the devil. 1 Peter 5, 8. We're back in in this book for today. And then we move to the life of Jesus. 1 Peter 5, 8 on 981. You know this passage. Stay alert. Watch out for your enemy, the great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Do you believe that? We're going to begin talking about the identity of Satan. Flip to another verse there at the back of the New Testament, Revelation 12, verse 9. On 997, right at the back. This great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world, was thrown down to the earth with all of his angels. Deceiving the whole world. Do you think the world we're living in is deceived? Your great enemy. How many of you think that, I want hands on this. How many of you think that Satan is a real individual person, spiritual person? How many of you believe that? I don't want you to just conform. How many just believe he's kind of the personification of evil? According to the scripture... According to the Bible, which this is the only source of authority we have on anything about the spiritual world. If you set this aside, you don't have any authority but what? Yourself. According to this book, Satan is real. Satan comes from the Greek, Santanus. Not Santana, and not Abraxas, which is a fine album. Satan is a personal name, translated from a Hebrew word which means adversary. And the name Satan appears 53 times in the Bible. 
17 in the Old Testament, 36 in the New. Now the word devil, the devil, is a Greek word diabolos. And it means false accuser or slanderer. And it appears 33 times in the New Testament only. And the word devil is not a name. It's actually more like a title. You'll see next week when we look at the temptation of Jesus. That Jesus, that the temptation comes from the devil. But then when Satan addresses him, he calls him by the name Satan. It's also Matthew chapter 4, 1 through 11. Demons, or reference to, to demon possession, appears 82 times. Two times in the Old Testament. So see, we have almost 200 different references to Satan, the devil, demon possession. And demons are also referred to as unclean, meaning unclean immoral spirits Satan has many other names in the scripture enemy the prince of demons liar and the father of lies murderer tempter ruler of the world the god of this evil world angel of light prince of the power of the air evil one Belial which is a reference to a false god or Beelzebul, we know it is Beelzebub, but that's actually a Latin word, which means Lord of the Flies, Serpent, Dragon, Abaddon, which is Hebrew, Apollyon, which is Greek, they both mean the destroyer. Now the Bible clearly believes Satan the devil is real. Do you? He's presented not as a force, not as someone's evil thought or misbehavior. He's presented as a person, a figure, a living, active, evil spirit being. But who is he? Well, he was created by God. He was created as an angel, so he is not equal to God. Colossians 1.16 says, all things we see And the seen and the unseen are created through Christ, but by God. Satan was an angel who sinned against God and was banished from heaven. 1 Timothy 3, 6, you'll look here. I'm using the good news um, translation here. I think it presents it a little clearer. He, now this he is referring to an elder, a leader in the church. He must be mature in the faith so that he will not swell up with pride and be condemned as the devil was. So there's an explanation of what happened. At Luke 10, 18, Jesus says that he saw Satan falling from heaven as a flash of lightning. Now there are other passages that many think refer to Satan's origin and his fall. Isaiah 14, but it actually refers to the king of Babylon. And that's the passage where the word Lucifer comes from. You familiar with Lucifer? It's not a name in Isaiah. It's a Latin word that's translated morning star. So you see how we've got a lot of theology that doesn't have anything to do with the Bible. There's also a passage, and that's in Isaiah 14, 12 through 15. There's another passage in Ezekiel Chapter 28, 11 through 19, that many believe is referring to Satan, but it actually refers to the king of Tyre. Now, it might refer to what happened to Satan, but I'm going to tell you, when I use the scripture, I try to be very careful. And before I say the Bible says, it needs to say it explicitly. Implicitly, it might be a reference to what happened, but I don't hang on those things. If it's not directly stated. Satan is not all-knowing. He's not all-powerful. He's not omnipresent. He's a single, finite, though supernatural being limited to one location. Which means probably not many of us, if any of us, have ever been harassed by Satan himself. Maybe the leaders of governments. Maybe 
religious leaders in the world, I'm not sure we would merit his personal attention. But he has a huge force of evil angels called demons. And they have great influence and control in this world. Look at 1 John 5. Verse 19 on 787. We know that we are children of God and that the world around us is under the control of the evil one. How many of you really believe that? See, I think a lot of us are skeptical of that because you know what's happened? We've been immersed like that illustration of the frog in the kettle. Supposedly you put a frog in a pot of cold water, he, don't, he won't jump out. And you can slowly turn up the water until he's boiled. I don't know if that's true. If I was a frog, I'd have jumped out as soon as it got hot. But you understand the illustration. That we are immersed in an ever-rottening culture. And because we're immersed in it, it's, we are growing more and more desensitized to its sinfulness. Satan is strong. He's dangerous. And so we need to learn how he operates so we are not defeated by his attacks or the assaults of demons. But we need to recognize it. Look, some of us who have lived a while, if you could go back for a minute and just remember the 70s, and you could say, well, that was the free love and sex and drugs culture. Yes, but you know what? It was not nearly as out of control as the culture we live in now. Those things existed, you know, kind of nastiness and all existed, but they were still at the border. Now, tonight, turn on your television and try to watch it with clear eyes. And if you had heard 20 years ago what you're hearing tonight, you'd have been shocked. We're being immersed in it. You don't have to consume it, but our culture will immerses us in this. We're going to look at the strategies of Satan. Satan's goal, it's there on your outline, is to discredit God by damaging Christians and destroying churches. Our culture, look how our culture is, is, is attacking Christians and churches. And anyone that stands for, for morality and faith. If, if you think you're not under attack, I'm not sure where you're sleeping or where you're living. And why? I'm suggesting Satan is behind this, goading it forward. God is Satan's enemy. Because, it, let me add this, because if you look at the benevolence work throughout the world, much less this nation, it's not done by this government or any other government. The foremost amount overwhelmingly is done by Christians. In the entire world. Bless you. In fact, the foremost um, organization that comes in when there's a natural disaster is not, the, is not the Red Cross. It's the Southern Baptist Convention. But you don't even know that. See, we're, why would, when we're so at work helping the poor, why would we be attacked so? Because Satan's got us fooled, see? And we're seen as the enemy, and you never hear about the good that's being done, do you? God is Satan's enemy, first and foremost. Satan envies, resents, hates God. And since he can't defeat God, he attacks God's children in an attempt to dishonor their father. You see that plainly in Job, but it applies in each of our lives as well. As Christians... We're involved in a spiritual war against invisible adversaries. But you may not be aware of it. How many of you think you're in a spiritual war? Be honest. And how many of you don't, do not know what I'm talking about? You just think I'm being histrionic. 
If you believe that you're in a war, why don't you act like a soldier? We have to understand our enemy so we will recognize when demonic assaults occur. Otherwise, these attacks damage our faith in God. They weaken our relationships with others. They drive us into destructive behaviors that results in broken friendships, fractured families, fragmented churches. Some of you may have experienced demonic oppression. Some of you may be experiencing now sounds and voices in the night, physical objects moved by unseen hands, cold spots in your house, shadows moving just out of sight, people acting animalistic with greater strength at times. You mean those things occur? Yeah, they all occur. I haven't been exposed to all of it. I've been exposed to some of it. Other pastors exposed. Some of you are living in it right now and ashamed to admit it and tell anyone. It's real. Satan lifting a bed up in the middle of the night, a man told me a few years ago. But we don't see those kinds of outward shows, outward displays of evil power very often. Rather, Satan assaults us, in, particularly in America, but even in the West, with whispered suggestions and subtle manipulation more than through outward displays of evil power. Because since there's still a presence and awareness of God and faith in our culture, we would flee to God in fear. In the third world, there's more of this outward display of power. God and the devil, God and Satan. But demonic oppression is a reality for Christians. And some of you are suffering it right now, but you do not recognize the source of your suffering. So I want to point out some ways that Satan works, some strategies of Satan. The first is distraction. Satan and his demonic forces want to distract us from obeying God. Divert us from following him, from heeding his word to dishonor him. How does he do this? Well, he does this by causing us to just, just you know, don't pay attention to this old book. He tempts us to seek our own satisfaction from this world through tangible sources, through things we can touch without regard for what God wants. 1 John 2.16, J.C. dealt with this a few weeks ago. Nine eighty four. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. But look at this. Well, what's wrong with those things? Well, this is what it says. These are not from the Father. They're from this world. And yet how many of us, when we read that, go, what's wrong with that? I need some more. I want, I'm going to grab all the gusto. Where'd you get that thought? Now, Satan knows our wounds and our weaknesses, our susceptibilities to sin. In other words, as Mark dealt with last week, he knows the, the text said sinful nature, but it really literally means the flesh. It's that unredeemed part of us. And it's, it's body, but it's also mind because the mind is seated in the brain. There are unredeemed aspects of our lives, and Satan knows it. And he goads us into acting on those parts of our lives. The lies we believe. And he uses what this world offers. Materialism, ambition, greed, pleasure, popularity, excitement. And many, many forms of entertainment to divert people away from God. He promises satisfaction for some inner hunger. For some unsettledness. 
But what happens is he desensitizes us spiritually through continual, constant exposure to sex and violence. Do you know it? Some of us even think this doesn't bother me. The violence I see. I mean, when you first were exposed to it, you felt like you needed a shower after watching some show, right? But now we kind of play around with it and we're desensitized. But I want you to just try. Say, God, give me, give me eyes that see clearly and watch one evening's primetime TV. And note the references to sexuality or the extreme violence. It desensitizes you. You wonder why you can't hear God? Because your receptors are damaged. Do you wonder who's behind Hollywood's continual effort to push the edge? I want to display more graphic stuff because it's true to life. It's not true to my life. Is it true to your life? But look at the lies we're being fed. Well, this is true to life. You're just, you're just trying to reach the flesh of people to satisfy your own hunger for money. That's what it boils down to. And we're falling prey to it. Satan distracts us from God by turning our attention to this world's offer of pleasure, popularity, to satisfy inner desires Instead of seeking pure satisfaction, contentment, peace by connecting with God's Spirit. You know what I'm talking about. When you, you really had a time that you read your Bible, you heard from God. Remember how shocked you felt the next time you heard something on television or radio? Because or, you went from the presence of God into this culture's environment. But if you don't recognize it, it tells you where you're already standing. Does everybody know what distracts them from God? Do you know what distracts you from God? Personally. Because it's not the same. Let me see. You know what distracts you from God. Let me see it. Perhaps Satan is the source. Another strategy of Satan is discouragement. Revelation 12.10. See, if we act as though he doesn't exist, he's a non-entity, he's already defeated us. And some of you may be thinking, oh, I don't want to hear this. Precisely. Revelation 12.10. The latter part of that verse. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to earth. The one who accuses them before our God day and night. Satan disheartens us. He wants to stall out our spiritual growth. He wants to to dull our spiritual senses. He wants to, to drive us into despair by pointing out our weaknesses. Our flaws. Our failures. By stirring up feelings of shame and guilt. Anybody discouraged in their faith by something they've done in their past? Something you may be doing in your present. But you're, you've got God out there because you don't want, you, you don't want him in close enough. Because you'll feel the conviction of it. And Satan's just telling you, he won't accept you, he won't accept you. Look what you've done. Look how dirty you are. That's not God. God didn't send his son to die for that sin to ridicule you for it. You you understand how that undermines his own son's sacrifice? When When you hear this voice that's promoting guilt and shame, that's trying to drive you into despair, that's not God. It's not ever God. The Spirit of God does convict of sin. But you know what? Sin sends you back to someone who loves you. So if you're standing there with your fist raised to God, 
because you feel so embroiled in guilt and shame, you didn't get there because of God or his spirit. Defiance never comes from God's spirit. Satan also causes distress. Satan's forces can produce pain, suffering, disease, and oppression. Luke 13, 10. Here's just one example we'll look at. Eight thirty-eight. One Sabbath day as Jesus was teaching in a synagogue, he saw a woman who'd been crippled by an evil spirit. She had been bent double for 18 years and was unable to stand up straight. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, Dear woman, you are healed of your sickness. Then he touched her and instantly she could stand straight. How she praised God. Some sickness comes directly from the demonic origin. But not all sickness comes from that source. I mean, we live in a fallen world. These bodies are affected by a disease process that doesn't have to do with disobedience even. It has to do with the fault, well, the original disobedience. But, But all sin, I mean, all sickness doesn't come from Satan. Matthew 4.24, Luke 6.18, Acts 5.16 just points out that those are two different sources. Some just occurs naturally as part of being human. But demons can and do torment and oppress people. Now here's what I think. Remember when it's what I think, are you bound to embrace it? No, you pray over it, you study over it first. I do not believe Christians can be possessed where you're completely out of control and Satan or a demon controls your life. If you're born again. If you aren't born again, you can be. Because I do not believe that the Spirit of God residing can can cohabitate with a demon within you. Having said that, I do believe you can invite the influence and the oppression of demons into your life, into your home. There are lots of ways we do it that we just laugh off and think are just subtle. Ouija boards. Ouija boards work. But they invite a demonic presence into something that you're calling play. Visiting fortune tellers. Participating in seances. These things aren't new. They were banned in the Old Testament. Yes, these forces are real. Now, I know some fortune tellers are are shams and fakes and frauds. Not all of them. Not all of them. Ghost hunting. You believe in ghosts or you don't, Perry? I don't believe in ghosts. But I very much believe in demons. See, there's no third category for ghosts. In the Bible, it's black and white, brother. Good fish, bad fish. Wheat, tares. Children of God, children of Satan. Angels of God, angels of Satan. There is no other habitation. There is no other entities. There are no other entities. Well, this is a good ghost, no such thing. Because you see what ghosts confuse, frighten, or ghosts just teach you that there's a spirituality out there that has nothing to do with God and truth. That's good enough, isn't it? You don't even know where you're standing. Satan also uses deception. 1 Timothy 4.1 Now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last time some will turn away from the true faith. They will follow deceptive spirits And teachings that come from demons. These people are hypocrites and liars. And their consciences are dead. 
See, Satan and his demons try to confuse our beliefs by presenting false teaching. Especially about the reliability of the Bible, God's role in creation and informing you. You could see if, if, if infants are just conceived by chance, by accident, by habit, then they don't have a right to live. You see the point? But if, God's, if God knit you together, then you already have dignity and worth and value. So see, all these things that are supposedly science arguing are undermining the foundation of our lives. If God didn't create the world and he doesn't form you, he's just a spirit sitting out there, but he was unnecessary to creation. You see where it leaves you? Standards of morality. God has no right to tell me what I want to do with my body. He does if he created you. You see how we're on such a dangerous slope. And Satan encourages people to substitute their opinions and preferences for God's teaching and truth. But God wants people to be happy. And God doesn't care who you love. He does if he says he does. You see the point? But how many of you have pushed away God's teaching for your own preferences? That's how we end up also with embracing a gospel and a lifestyle that doesn't require repentance or holy living. And it allows a moral behavior that not only expects but demands God's forgiveness because that's his job. Then do you know how ridiculous that is? What if I say, well, you know, I think I'm going to commit adultery and it's Leanne's job to forgive me. How's that sit with you, Leanne? I'm not sure she would at all, ever. You see my, but you see my point? You said that's ridiculous. Then how do we say the same about God? I'm going to do whatever the blank I want, and it's his job to forgive me. You see, you wouldn't do that to your wife because you love her. Do you love God? You see the comparison? Do you love God? No, none of us that have someone that we love, does. no one does everything they want to do regardless of anybody else, just based on love. My daughter and son-in-law and my wife, I'm not allowed because I'm so sick, but they don't get to control anything about their lives anymore because of love. You see my point? Love always restricts. Always, 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 always restricts. Sometimes this kind of thinking is encouraged by people who identify themselves as Christians. Even church leaders. Look at 1 Corinthians, I mean 2 Corinthians 11. Start at 13 on 9.35. These people are false apostles and they're deceitful workers who disguise themselves as apostles of Christ. But I'm not surprised. Even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it's no wonder that his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. In the end, they will get the punishment their wicked deeds deserve. There, there, are, there are churches and seminaries and prof, seminary professors and pastors who are teaching and preaching contrary to the Bible. This is false teaching. You have to be a Berean to, to study and, and follow. And I, I invite you to always study behind me. You know, the, one of the first places I ever sensed or discerned an oppressive spirit was when Leanne and I transferred to a Baptist seminary. 
And you know what? There may have been professors that really did believe in the miracles, but because the other professors put them under so much pressure, they wouldn't say they did. You would not find a seminary professor who would say Jesus was really raised from the dead bodily. He was really born of a virgin. The Bible really is inspired. Southern Baptist Seminary. It's not that way today, but most of you didn't know that anyway. But you could put in the denominational blank. These seminary environments are rife with people that do not believe the Scripture. Colleges, you know what colleges are now. And we just act like, oh, well, you know. It was a horrible environment. And it was so dishonest. Professors would say, no respected scholar believes Moses wrote the first five books, the Pentateuch. And I said, well, what about this one? And what about that one? And what about this other one? Because I'd been to a different seminary. And I knew there were, were reputable scholars and men of integrity and deep learning that believed that very thing. And the same points are true about creation or any of these other issues. But you're being told, nobody believes this. A consensus of scientists believe this. Don't buy it. But don't be lazy. Do some work. Well, this professor just blasted me away, see? But it was truth. So I handed out books on campus about the inspiration of Scripture. I was not a popular man on that campus. (laughs) I was the president of a little fellowship group that really believed that the Bible was true and the miracles really happened. There was about 25 of us. But here's the question. It's not like that today, I can tell you. That... The Baptist Convention turned back. It's the only denomination in history that ever started down a real liberal path and turned back. Only one ever. I'm not exalting that denomination. I'm just telling you a fact. Here's the question. Do you hold God's view of morality or one you fashion for yourself? Because if you're living by your own rules... You're on the throne, so I hope you have a key into heaven. Satan stimulates doubt as well. Genesis, go all the way to the front. That'll be easy to find. Beginning at verse 1, and it says, The serpent was the shrewdest of all wild animals the Lord God had made. Now, it doesn't say Satan. The passage in Revelation calls Satan the serpent, so perhaps it was Satan or Satan's influence on the serpent. I'm not, we don't know that. But. And the serpent asked the woman, now think about it, did God really say not to eat any of the fruit from the trees in the garden? You know how it was said, don't you? You can't eat the fruit from any tree in the garden. It's not what God said. God said you can't eat from one tree. I told you love always restrains. One tree. All the rest. He said, well, we'll die if we eat this one tree. You won't die. You won't die. God knows Your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it. And you will be like God. Knowing both good and evil. What God's saying about sex and sexuality and gender and all. You know, come on. He's just withholding you from expressing yourself and from finding real happiness. Isn't it the same lie? The serpent's purpose was to get Eve, then Adam, to doubt whether God had their best interests in mind. When he restricted their behavior. Our culture doubts. Don't listen to the church. The church is hateful. How is it hateful to protect people from something that will destroy their lives? But see, there's no truth. Our culture has been set up as this, as this antagonistic, 
battle over everything. I mean, just look at any website and look at, look at the, the hateful, virulent comments over nothing. This celebrity dyed her hair, dyed her hair blonde. You look like a... But it's indicative of what lies within. You see what I'm saying? This hatred over political parties and even football teams. And I mean, people fighting because of a football. It's football. You see how, our, how we're, we're all out of balance. Because we're supposed to get our sense of self from God's spirit. And we're trying to get our sense of self from what do we own? How big's our house? What team did we follow? Look how ridiculous that is. And if that's where we are, we've already been fooled. We've already been fooled. We've already been fooled. Has Satan manipulated you into doubting God's love and goodness and the truth of his word? Here's some self-defense. I promise I'll go very fast. Ephesians 6. I need about two months to preach this. Maybe, maybe next year after we do the life of Jesus. Which is, please, 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 please participate. Buy a book. Read it. Come to church, for goodness sakes. Let coming to church be at least third on your list. Not fifth, sixth, seventh. But I, my back's hurting. My kids got, you know... Change your priorities. How many of you, I'm going to ask you, how many of you will give 10% more effort to your spiritual growth next year? 10% is all I'm asking. Start with buying a book and reading it. It's okay if you miss it a few days. Take a step. You know what? We want to know Christ. He's the Savior of your soul. We want to know what He says. Quit this speculation in the community about what Jesus thinks and doesn't think. It's given to you. I'm going to get off this stage in a minute. Now I got a grandson. I got to get even worse. I got to. Now I'm protecting the world for him. A final word Ephesians 6 10. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. Against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Satan has an army of fallen angels. They're organized, they're structured to carry out his plans. And our only way to resist is to wear the armor of God, given to us by God, to defend ourselves. Verse 13, therefore put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will be standing firm. So let me just give you quickly these different pieces of armor give you just a simple application but you study over it pray over it figure out how it applies you you know where you're being attacked you know what satan's whispering in your mind it's time to bolt on the armor the belt of truth is having living with the character of integrity in verse 14 it says stand your ground putting on the belt of truth you know this means live honestly stop lying even little white lies tell the truth You don't have to worry then about somebody exposing you. If you just stand truth, then you can reject Satan's accusation of hypocrisy in your life. The breastplate of righteousness is the conviction of holiness. Verse 14. Stand firm with the body armor of God's righteousness. Put it on. Put on the body armor. And what this is, this is is conviction that you are holy. You know that? You are holy. Christ has died for your sins. By faith, you are clean. Don't let Satan tell you you're dirty. You're not dirty by faith. That's your position in Christ. But then there's also, it's a, it includes an encouragement, a motivation to positional holiness, holiness which means to live holy. 
You know you're holy, now live holy. You see the, you see the two sides? And it protects you from Satan's temptation to sin. Nope, not me. You see what I'm saying? Let me tell you this. Some of you, if you, to say, if you say like, I, I'm saying, I love my wife. That means I love my wife. That means I love my I don't care what woman has long eyelashes and cat-like mascara. Just purr yourself on out of the way here. But let me tell you this. If you go looking for it, you will find her. In fact, you'll find one before Friday. Let me tell you this. Because this culture is morally bankrupt. But you are holy. But you got to know it and live it. And then this, that kind of temptation doesn't reach you at all. Shoes of peace is communicating the gospel. Verse 15. For shoes put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. Another translation is put on the readiness to preach the good news of peace with God. Have you noticed that when you're trying to witness to somebody and you're praying about someone to witness to, you live more godly. And you're living offensively instead of defensively. And you're putting Satan on his heels because you're not passive, lazy, complacent. You're a sitting duck if that's how you're living spiritually. But you get a little aggressive and you say, you know what? I know the good news and it set me free and I have peace and I'm going to carry it. You'll be amazed how differently you live and walk and how much more you pray. That's why it's your shoes. It's getting you ready to move. The shield of faith is being convinced of God's promises. Verse 16, in addition to all these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Shield of faith, see, faith is in God's promises. You know, when people say, well, I'm claiming this. Well, you can't claim anything God hasn't promised. God might give you something he didn't promise, some blessing, some benefit. But the only thing you can claim by faith is what he said he'll do. So you claim God's promises. And you know what will happen? It will extinguish the whispered lies of Satan. No, 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 no. You're not good. You're evil. You Nobody loves you. You're awful. You're undone. No, 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 no. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am co-heir with Jesus. I have an inheritance in heaven that's waiting for me right now. But you got to know it. you got to hold up that shield of faith, you see. Because listen, every one of you, you've heard something since I've been here. Somebody said, oh, that pair, he's on a, he's on a box today. It's, it, you, these whispered statements are always coming. They're not from God's spirit. They're from a demonic source. Because look at the fruit of it. Trust in God's promises. And then you'll extinguish the lies that are whispered into your minds that cause fear and doubt. Helmet of salvation is certain hope. Thessalonians tell us where hope, where's hope is a helmet. And because the helmet sits on the head, I think it is about our emotional, mental self. And this is hope of eternal life. You know, we get mad. I don't have what I want. I'm not making the money I want. I'm not respected like I should. I didn't get the promotion that I want. I don't have the, I don't have the girlfriend, the wife, the husband that I want. But I'm going to heaven. And you know what? I'm 59, so the path on that side shorter than the one that got me here. But you see, you say, well, this is, but oh, i got to live in this world. No, you don't. You're a child of the king. You're residing here, but your real true residence is in heaven. You're living in the kingdom of God. Now act like it. Live with some hope. Hope of eternal life lets you reject Satan's attempts to discourage you. The sword of the Spirit is the capable use of the Bible. Put on salvation as your helmet and take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. You cannot fight with it if you don't know it. Please, please, please work on reducing your ignorance of God's Scripture. Please, I'm begging you. 
We need you in this culture that's rotting from the inside out. We need some people that know truth. You shall know the truth. The truth will set you free. Darkness never expels light. Light always expels darkness. But you got to know it. you got to know it in your mind. you got to hold it in your heart. you got to live it in your life. Please walk with me. Please make being in church matter. Not because I'm talking, but because you've prepared and you've, you're, you've read and you've studied. Get a notebook and write something out each day and, and, and come and worship vigorously. You'll find out that your life is completely different going forward. The truth of the Bible always exposes Satan's schemes and lies. You know, I've been here for just, what, 30, 40 minutes this morning. Look how many things I've exposed to you go. Goodness, I never saw that. You got to have the word in your heart and life. And you'll see it. Prayer in the spirit is continual prayer. Verse 18. Pray in the spirit at all times. And on every occasion. Be alert and be persistent. In your prayers for all believers everywhere. Prayer provides the power to withstand Satan's attacks. And you know what? It comes through intimacy with God. Now, we don't have intimacy with God every time we pray. But you know that time I'm talking about? You felt God's presence. You didn't want to get near any nastiness then, did you? You didn't want to hear any gossipy, ugly talk. You didn't want to see anything on the TV screen. Because you'd been in the presence of God and it made you strong. But you got to spend some time in the presence of God. Let him strengthen you. So do you recognize Satan's strategies? We just started them. I just took a quick stab. Do you recognize them? Some of you, they're going on right now. Well, they're going on in all our lives right now. But do you see it? And will you Can you withstand his attacks by wearing the full armor of God? you got to strap it on. It requires some effort to strap it on, to train. You say, oh, right now I'm being defeated. You want someone to pray for you? You say, well, I'm, I'm ill. I don't know if it's demonic or it's just broken humanity. We'll pray for you. Counselors, you come to the front. They'll pray for you about a relationship with Christ. They'll pray for you about what struggles you're having, where Satan's tempting you or defeating you. They'll anoint you with oil and pray if you're experiencing illness. They'll just stay here as long as you want. They'll be here and there'll be some in the care connection room. Father God, show us this world the way you see it. Help us know that we have a a lion roaring and seeking to devour our lives. Lord, help us to take this battle seriously and become prepared as soldiers. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for coming.